having considered the pathos of our present situation, it is now in order to inquire, what do we know about our inner state? We have reviewed the many difficult cares and burdens that affect man from without. We saw that in his inner life man had many disappointments and delusions, that his body was subject to sickness, pain, decay, and finally death, that he is surrounded by unrest, hatred, crime, and wars, that nature itself seemed unfriendly and oftentimes violent, that the creature and animal kingdom are basically antagonistic. All this appears very melancholy and tragic. We now advance to the consideration of our inner state. In what sense are we responsible for bringing these dreadful situations into existence? And in what way do we help to perpetuate them? Do we have any faculty within us as moral beings that will show us our responsibility in these matters? God has not left himself without an ally within man that would plead his cause. This beachhead of truth exists in every human being in control of his faculties. It is God's detective to bring truth to light. We can no more cut out this silent witness within us than we can tear apart our personalities. We refer to what we call our conscience which may be our ally of blessing or our disturber in guilt, according to our character and enlightenment. Our conscience, first of all, is a function of our intelligence and reflects to ourselves whether we are living up to our comprehension of truth or not. The English word conscience is derived from a Latin verb which means to know with. It is not merely a knowing, therefore, but a knowing together with something or someone. Other languages have similar meaning to their equivalent word. We may compare the voice of conscience in man to instincts which have been made a part of the whole creature world to make their lives possible. An animal is thus directed as to what to eat to preserve its life. In a mysterious way, an animal is warned against eating things that would poison it. It has been observed. Animals never eat natural poisons and are only fooled by artificial poisons that are the byproduct of man's operation. God has put within man, therefore, a power of reflection equally mysterious which is always throwing a searchlight upon man's way. The Apostle John referred to the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In his first chapter, verse 9 of the Gospel, possibly this refers to man's conscience, which reflects something of eternal truth in all. Secondly, conscience is everywhere manifested in the world. Not a tribe has been found on earth that did not have some religious observance and thereby is seeking to ease its own guilt of conscience. A pioneer missionary in Africa once asked a conscientious hearer 
if he ever had a consciousness of sin before hearing the gospel of Christ. He pointed to his breast and answered, Something in here told me that such and such deeds were wrong. Adam and Eve, we recall, fled from the presence of God because their inner shame and guilt disturbed them. Joseph's brethren felt the lash of conscience when they confessed, We are very guilty concerning our brother. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, felt guilty when he came to Jesus and agreed to restore fourfold those he had uh, cheated in the usual crooked means of that business. Conscience is a powerful weapon in our day. Back in 1811, there was established in Washington, D.C., a fund which is called the Conscience Fund, which those who had a guilty feeling of having cheated the government out of money might pay into without giving their names. The first contribution was $5. Later, a man in London contributed $14,250, while the largest of all contributions was $30,000. Why all this money? Just to relieve a bothering conscience. Some have contributed one or two cents for male dishonesty, so small matters bother too. The fund about 10 years ago had totaled about $1,300,000. It has been said that a guilty conscience needs no accuser. Not long ago, a man of 84 years of age returned to some depths he had left in St. Louis 44 years before. They just kind of gnawed around the edges of my mind. All this time, he said, and finally, just had to return to pay the $300 or so. This is the happiest day of my life, he told a reporter. He had succeeded in evading everyone but himself. A 31-year-old truck driver who had never been under suspicion committed a murder not long ago and was successful in getting away to start life over again in a distant city. But his conscience came along, and after 10 months, he had to quit his job, return to the place of his crime, give himself up, and take his penalty, saying, I just couldn't take it anymore. We have all had some experiences with ourselves, I am sure. Certainly no one doubts that there is such a thing as conscience. But let us look further as to what conscience tells us and how we are to account for the inner lives of many who say that they can commit great crimes without a guilty conscience. Conscience has been likened to a judgment seat or to a judicial authority like the Supreme Court of the United States or of some other country. The court has no power to make laws. That's the function of the legislative branch of the government. The court can only analyze a given situation and declare whether the law has been obeyed or not and if not, what the penalty shall be. This is what conscience does. It takes what the intelligence understands as right and wrong and inerrantly declares whether the life is conforming to it or not. It does not give any reasons, but merely asserts the fact within us. It is also absolute. There is no appeal. Conscience either smiles or frowns. 
It is no refector of persons. The Apostle John wrote concerning the heart, which was his equivalent for the work of conscience. In chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 of his first epistle, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. It has been pointed out that before we enter into a particular act, conscience either encourages us to carry it out or advises us not to do so. During the act, the voice of conscience is weakest, as a rule, because we are busily occupied or under the sway of passion. After the act, conscience usually speaks most strongly, either approving the deed or protesting against it, accompanied by inner unrest and guilt. In the fourth place, while conscience is always positive in its approval or disapproval, it is not inerrant in appraising right conduct. The Apostle Paul said that he had a good conscience while he was persecuting and seeking to stamp out the Church of Christ. He thought Jesus was a deceiver who was now dead, and he purposed to stamp out the delusion as soon as possible. Our Lord Jesus spoke similarly to his disciples in John 16, 2. The time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. So conscience merely approves or disapproves as to whether we are following what we think is the right way. So if our minds are in error as to what the proper conduct should be in a given instance, our conscience will not set us straight. That will occur only when the mind is enlightened, and then conformity exercised to the new truth. It is true that the minds of men have been greatly perverted and darkened because of sin, but it is affirmed in the fifth place that moral light of man on the great issues of life is sufficiently strong to render every man guilty for not complying. We have seen that from the glorious mysteries about his person and the vast universe in which he finds himself, man without exception must acknowledge to himself that God exists and that he is responsible to recognize this great fact and give allegiance to his great and benevolent person. He is therefore guilty if he does not. Everyone recognizes that his fellow man has rights equal with himself. Conscience voices itself against us when we violate this light and persist in our selfish ways. And so while conscience may not be infallible in all the things that it approves due to errors of mind and the darkness of moral truth brought upon us by sin, no one has departed so far into darkness so that he does not assert his great guilt in refusing submission to the great God of the universe as he is plainly revealed, nor to see that his fellow man also has rights as well as himself. Conscience is like a room with more or less light shining in. The brighter the sun, the more the dust particles can be seen. The greater exposure to moral light of God that the mind has, the greater the correctness of the way approved by the conscience. But there is enough light shafted into the areas of our minds so that all are without excuse. When we therefore begin to lament 
over the hard treatment from the circumstances of life, something within us rises up to place at least a partial blame upon ourselves and say, this is somewhat what I deserve, seeing that I have treated God and my fellow men as I have. This guilt brings us under self-condemnation, therefore, and upon realizing it, we cease to complain and are fit subjects for the grace of God to be extended to. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for the light of conscience that Thou hast put within our bosom of bosoms. How we thank Thee for this corrective measure that points to us the error of our way and that shows us our guilt of not recognizing thy great person and not giving thee proper allegiance and not recognizing the rights of our fellow men and persisting on in the way of selfishness. Oh, may many this day respond to the light of their conscience, turn to thee in deep humiliation and repentance, and enlist themselves by faith in the glorious cross of Christ and find his wonderful salvation and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.